0: My name is Angelina Pratt, the host of Empathetic Witness. Today's guest is Dr. Janine Carrier, professor from the University of Victoria. Our subject today is on adoption from an Indigenous worldview. I hope you enjoy it. Please subscribe and write a review so others can find the podcast. in a while. <laughs> um, welcome to Empathetic Witness. I've been really looking forward to speaking with you. And before we go further, I I would like you to introduce yourself because I know you have an Indian name and a Métis name, and I just want you to be able to re- pronounce it properly. So I'll let you introduce yourself and then we will we will go on to the interview after that.
1: Thank you, Angelina. So, Tanse everyone. Nia Sokiaskiasquayu. Nia Odebimsawak. In Cree, I introduced myself with my spirit name, which is Strong Earth Woman. And I said that I was Métis. And uh, I am originally from southern Manitoba. I grew up in St. Adolph, which is on the Red River. And like many other Métis people, I I, uh, did some traveling to Alberta and lived there for a number of years, 20 years, and then eventually found my way um, here to Vancouver Island where I teach at the University of Victoria. Uh, which is on traditional territories of the Songhees, Esquimalt, and Lekwungen-speaking peoples, and I live in uh, the Cobble Hill area up Island, so north of Victoria, in the territory of the Cowessin peoples. Mm-hmm. Um, and our our acreage is probably uh, more uh, t- uh, traditional territory of the Malahat Nation, which is um, which are part of the uh, who are part of the Cowessin peoples. So uh, my English name is Janine Carrier, and I'm happy to be here today with you, Angelina.
0: Oh, thank you. Welcome. I think the only thing I recognized in your pre-name is women. uh, Yeah, I think I I recognize that word. (laughs) 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 That's good. Mm -hmm. Um, So today, I wanted to have a conversation with you on adoption. And you are an expert, I believe, in my in my opinion, on Indigenous adoption, uh, cultural planning, etc. And I want the conversation, if you like, to be more of, um, you know, the person listening will be able to gain some tools to add to their tool belt and how to navigate if they are adoptive parents if they've been adopted and what it is they can do to to really have a, a good experience and if they haven't had a good experience how can they manage their life so that their experience going forward is a good experience in my family uh, we have um, we have an adopted adopted female and And my mother has not formally, but she has, you know, raised a number of different children um, in our household, people that called her mom, but it wasn't a formal adoption. She just took on other people's children, her grandchildren. And um, it was really life-saving because in her doing that, she was able to save a good number of um, her ch- grandchildren, great grandchildren, from being placed in uh, care. So, for for your, um, you know, as we start the the conversation, I have a question. I, I listened to some of your videos, and um, one of the things that I I noted is that. It's, Indigenous adoption is different for indigenous peoples because there's a sense of loss identity and not knowing who they are. And often I think, you know, a number of people I have met who have been adopted, you know, people don't really know what nationality they are. You know, they they look like they could be Asian, they look they could look like they could be some other nationality. And sometimes the adopted person will just go along with it rather than having to explain their history. And um, I was wondering for you, what is the strongest situation where people lose touch with their identity?
1: Well, that's a very... um, a very important question uh, in the world of adoption is this loss of identity, and I believe that most adoptees who have uh, the knowledge of being adoption of, adopted, <clears throat> excuse me, when they when they receive that knowledge, um, immediately want to know. Well, if I am not who I thought I was, then mm. who am I and where do I belong and where are my peoples? Mm. So I don't think that that is essentially an, uh, an indigenous phenomenon, but for indigenous peoples who, for the, for the most part, we have this common world view of mm. ancestral ties, ancestral teachings. Mm and how our life here is on a it, it's it will continue beyond this life into the spirit world where our ancestors are and where they will know us by name and greet us when we when we go to the other side mm. and we go to the spirit world and so um i think we have some ties to that ancestral world that uh, has been named as blood memory. It has been named as other um, connections that are unique to indigenous peoples. And our relationship with land are the messages that we get um, through our blood memory, through our DNA in, in Western terms, um, is unique and it places us in a in a universe of adoption that is complicated um, and the search for self is not only search for self, but it is a search um, for uh, what we call in Cree. And I, I have to look at my um, some of the writing in, in one of our books, wakutuwin, you know, wakutuwin means our relations, all Mm -hmm. our relations. And it's, it's, um, you know, the the sentiment that we have when we know our relations uh, is a sentiment and a feeling of completion. And it Mm -hmm. is that that connects us to our ancestral uh, teachings, and peoples as well. Right. And, and so I think that's uh, what makes Indigenous adopt- adoptees um, have some different um, longing mm. when mm. they feel that loss that mm-hmm. we, we feel as adoptees. Mm-hmm. And I, today I also speak from not just a, an academic perspective and I should clarify that um, because I also speak from being an adoptee myself mm-hmm. and also having adopted uh, yes. a son. So my world of adoption is very broad and complex, mm. uh, but also uh, gives me great privilege in seeing adoption from all of those vantage points. and. Um, so it's. I believe it's given me the passion and the drive to um, study and uh, speak with people about adoption for most of most of my life. So yeah, I don't know if I responded to your question in the way that you hoped, but that's. Those are the first thoughts I had when you posed that question.
0: Yeah. No, thank you, Janine. That really does does answer my question because I I get the sense that even if you're not adopted, you know, even if you didn't have that, that experience, we as individual people, humans are really social based. We look for a connection and we long for that belonging. And so I can understand that if you're adopted, that is even more, um, it's magnified, you know, the the belonging and who you are, and you're looking for your people, or maybe if you're not even looking for your people, I think you intuitively or just you sense that you don't belong, right? So you you have this, as you're growing up, you have this sense, oh, I don't belong in this family. So where do I belong? And maybe you will just fantasize about where you would belong. And you have these, you know, family type fantasies going on in your head. And they don't correlate with what's happening in reality. And so there, there's a sense of of, a, a break, I guess, in the connection, right? So there, there's not a, the connection is not complete until you know, and I'm sure, you know, there is some adopted parents that try, I've heard you speak to this, they try really hard to ensure the cultural connection is there, and they'll make efforts to ensure that the experience includes cultural connection, and maybe sometimes not the right connection, the right Indigenous people, Mm -hmm. because, you know, we have many different Indigenous families and peoples that they're not all the same. You know, they might have a a line that carries through a commonality, but they're not the same. And I, you know, speaking from my own Indigenous experiences as as a Dene, there are specific things that are really specific to Dene, you know. And I remember once reading an anthropology book by um, Guy Goulet, I think his name is. Anyway, he went up to um, the Dene Nation up north, northern Alberta, and he wrote about, as often academics will do, um, the Dene people. And as I was reading the book, I kind of thought, oh, that's why I do that. That's why I, you know, like, I, even if I I didn't uh, grow up as real traditional, I recognized some of the specific things that are specific to Dene people. I had that. And Mm -hmm. I thought, oh, that makes sense now. Like it was really, it was really interesting for me. It was a, um, almost like a light bulb moment where I just thought, wow, that's me. That's me. That, that is me. And so Dene are my people by connection, you know? So I really I really get what you're saying. And that did answer my question because there is that deep longing. So what would your advice be to um, an adopted, well, an adoptee to, if they're interested in exploring their cultural identity, how would they go about doing it? Would you just, you know, recommend they just Google it you know, talk to somebody at the Friendship Centre, the Métis Centre, like what is the most effective way of um, searching and connecting?
1: Yeah, I think there's many, uh, many avenues to that. And it depends on your comfort level, and on your confidence. And uh, because it's a very scary uh, process to go out and search. And uh, it can be a very lonely process. So the very first thing that I would recommend is that someone um, engages the support of a witness for that journey Mm -hmm. and a a witness, not only that witnesses, the information that's received, but Mm -hmm. a witness to support and to provide that uh, sense of of belonging with someone who says Mm -hmm. whatever, whatever we find on this journey, we're going to tackle this together and I'll be with you. Um, And, um, you know, if you need to talk after or if you need to um, discuss anything, I'll be with you.
0: Mm. And
1: because I think that loneliness and that whole uh, that we often feel in our hearts as adoptees, that sense of loss um, is quite real. And even in the most wonderful adoption situations there is that missing piece Mm. and so on the west coast they 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 call witnesses when uh we have ceremony or we have gatherings or even when we have our celebrations for um students for example indigenous students at our university we call on witnesses because these witnesses are, and the witnesses are are um, given at a token amount of change mm. that, you know, symbolizes yeah. that their their role as a witness, that they have been there today and they will remember for the people that even if the people can't remember, they have a responsibility to remember. So I would say that a witness for an adoptee can play that that role of uh, remembering, filling in the Mm -hmm. gaps, because sometimes it's so overwhelming what you find Mm -hmm. that you you can't remember it later, uh, supporting and, uh, you know, being someone that you can trust. So that that would be my first piece of advice, followed by the some of the steps that adoptees have taken include getting their adoption papers, whatever those Uh papers are. Uh, now we don't have closed adoptions, but we still have a generation or two of people uh, who have been adopted through closed adoption. And so you have to ask for your papers. And so whatever uh, province you were adopted in, uh, province, territory, location, um, the the Department of uh, Children's Services should have, in their adoption department, should have your papers. And so to get those papers mm. sometimes fills another, some other pieces of missing information, yes. uh, such as for my son. It 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 was by getting his papers that we found, we found out his birth father's, his birth parents' names. And we found mm. out through that process that he is not Métis; he's First Nation, and he mm-hmm. is connected to oh. one of the one of the nations in Alberta. You know that that he you know, and he mm. won't get he won't get membership. So that's another, you know, for First Nation adoptees. There's so many oh, layers yes. uh, because then the politics get involved, yep. and you know some some nations don't want to accept adoptees back. They want uh, they have a very strict membership code and adoptees don't always yep. um, fall into that f- scenario where they can get
0: mm. uh,
1: accepted as members but they will get um, you know like my son he's got status through um, Indigenous Affairs you know they the adoption yep. branch at Ad- Indigenous Affairs so if you find out your First Nation and you want to be registered mm-hmm. just because your nation doesn't have an, you know an open process for yes. you indigenous affairs and it will get you registered uh, but you need your adoption papers to, to do that so there there's those administrative ways of finding things so the, those are some of the things and then if you um, and then once you find that out then yeah you can start searching okay where is my so my nation is is in certain uh, geographical location what what are they about what you know where are they what are they about uh, finding mm-hmm. out that kind of general information yeah. can be very helpful and then ideally you're going to find someone from that nation whether it's Métis nation or a first nation or Inuit mm-hmm. you're going to find someone yeah who is willing to take you further in your journey yeah and uh, someone from that community and whether they have a child and family service branch at, uh, you know, the at the uh, the First Nation, like a First Nation child family service uh, agency, or maybe it is a friendship center, or maybe it is a, a Métis local or a Métis nation. You know, Angelina, that our people know each other. Yes. I, I hear a name from manitoba or alberta and i start putting that family together because i know who they are and that's why we introduce ourselves and we say who was your mom and who was your grandpa those are hard discussions of course for adoptees and you know it reminds us of oh you know that missing information Mm. but on the other hand that is how we identify each other so that if if an adoptee can get to that point they don't feel so lost and and alone Because I've been told by birth moms, birth grandmas, we don't forget about these children. Yes. They think we've forgotten them, but we haven't.
0: Yeah.
1: And, uh, you know, which raises another point for me. uh, But I'll let you ask the next question. I probably said enough on this point.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, this is good. I mean, because I really, I really like your, you mentioning the witness. You know, um, this podcast is called Empathetic Witness, and it's because I wanted to have that that listener, that empathetic listener, as part of the conversation as we we move forward. And having a witness to investigating, maybe not investigating for you, but with you, Mm -hmm. your journey, and documenting it a little bit, because... Really, we, you know, humans and we just don't remember correctly. I mean, science has proven that our memory is not that stellar. Like, you can get, you can see a car accident and interview three witnesses, six witnesses, they'll all have different stories. They'll mm. even have different color cars or what kind of cars, you know. So, having a witness along in your journey with the intention to have a, you know, a conversation when you first, you know, uh, identify the witness and the witness saying, you know, I commit to being with you on this journey and I will listen to you compassionately as you move through the various phases in your journey. I'll be there for you. That is a sense of belonging, right? You, yeah. you you create a belonging with your witness and then you expand that belonging to whoever becomes, joins you in your circle. So it, it moves forward, it moves out, right? Yeah. So um, I really love that, that segment of, you know, identifying the witness with a clear intention to be there and to listen and to be part of your journey, and to fill in those gaps, if you're, you know, don't remember them correctly, and, or you don't even remember it, like, you can even have a gap in your memory, where, say, if you met your birth parents, and aunts and uncles, but you could just block that all out, and not even remember that, you know, because adoption, you know, is, is traumatic it really is trauma that that you experience you know from whatever age it was that you were adopted and so that in itself will skew your memory because you know trauma will do that you know you you won't remember things you're you're then looking through your life through a filter of maybe I'm not wanted, nobody loves me, I don't have people, you know, so you're, you're, you're looking through that filter, and it will, it will create a different memory, you know, and so having a witness to, you know, kind of say, hey, you know, you met, don't you remember, you met your, your aunt and your uncle, and, you know, maybe your birth mom on this day, you know, how did that feel? Because essentially, everybody is um, a stranger to you, You know, you might feel a connection, but, and you might not even feel that connection. You know, like, you know, you, you see these stories of adoptees um, reuniting with birth parents and it looks all great, but what if you don't feel that? Like, what if you don't feel that connection with your birth mom or your birth dad? Like, you know, and that's okay, right? It's, it's, it's to know that whatever feelings you have is okay and that, you know, you can, you know, maybe you might have that warm fuzziness and maybe you're not, you won't. And you'll just think, oh, well, these are just strangers. But whatever feelings, it's legitimate and it needs to be uh, identified as yeah, uh, your feelings is, the right feeling because that's you. you you know you can't you can't have you can't say it's wrong to feel that way because it's not because whatever you're feeling comes from you and it's okay so yeah that i i i really think the big part of um the conversation we're having is the witness and the witness is the biggest part of this this thing and so moving moving past that now, how would you you know when you talked about um, uh, cultural planning and how to introduce that to the to the children that have been adopted, what is the safest way to do that?
1: Hmm. Before we talk about cultural planning, I guess i I just want to pick up on one thing you said. Uh, well there were many things you said that I, I i i could have you know i wanted to um kind of add mm. to but i won't i won't start that conversation over but yeah. um i think it's a very important point to make that um not all adoption uh, reunions are positive mm. and not all um relationships with with birth families are great mm. and also um not all adoptees are comfortable in going forward with those reunions and not all birth families either. And Mm. so it's really, really critical. And that brings me forward now to cultural planning Mm. that cultural planning doesn't necessarily mean being connected to birth family um, because otherwise that puts a lot of pressure on, on folks in that adoption circle folks who may not want to be ready, who are not ready, at at least at that point in time. Mm. So we shouldn't have a dictating form of cultural planning that says, number one, they will meet their birth family. (laughs) Number two, they will like them. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. You know, because that isn't reality for many people. Mm. And so cultural planning would be more about um, the knowledges that are found in that person in the adoptees' um, cultural um, not only background, but really their rights as an indigenous person to know who they are and where they come from, and what what are their what are the worldviews, the practices, the language, the land connection, what are all those things um, that um, can provide um, a better picture for the adoptee of, of who they are? It may never get to the point where they're wanting connection. Mm. It has to be, cultural planning has to be with the adoptee. Mm. Um, it can't be done for them or on their behalf. Mm. It has to be an engagement with the adoptee. And so at the very, you know, when, when, and kids, of course, there's the developmental process, you know, the child development process that has to take into account, what is the child ready to learn? um, And how do they learn? Do they learn in, in, in visual ways? Do they learn? In storytelling, do they learn uh, by um, going to a community event uh, where it's something to do with their cultural background? Um, so I, I I do I can't stress that enough that you can't force cultural planning. Um, mm-hmm. And back in the day when you know uh, Indigenous adoptions was such a contentious issue after the 60s scoop. Um, mm-hmm. It was really, um, you know we kind of went full circle where we we went full circle from not wanting any of our kids adopted out. and then all you know, there wasn't the pool of adoption adoptive parents that were uh, there that could um, take all of this into consideration. and and then we've we've also now uh, developed a number of customary adoption programs um, that will not have our children leave our extended family and communities. Mm. And those are very powerful, um, ways of adoption. And it is returning to our teachings because mm. custom adoption isn't something that, uh, you know, um, the child and family, uh, ministries have designed. Yeah. Yeah. Those were our ways. And, yes. and, uh, and I think you described a, a, a situation earlier about that. So we have adopted each other, at, you know, each other's children, each other as adults for time immemorial. Oh, okay. um, so returning to those teachings is powerful, and uh, you know, for um, kids that need adoption at this time. But as I said earlier, there's a some generations of of our people who who were adopted in the closed adoption system and those are the people that I think are needed uh, you know where cultural planning is is uh needed and that it isn't um it isn't an easy task um and I'm not sure about um I mean in in British Columbia we have a policy on cultural planning and uh, several years ago I was asked to do an analysis of the cultural planning policy and uh, it was just so uh, overwhelming to see that you know some people didn't practice it at all and some people did and but they were kind of going you know they weren't getting any support or help to to engage in it so they were doing all kinds of things like you mentioned earlier connecting uh, say a Dene child to a um, a Blackfoot community, you know, and, and, yeah. and just try because adoptive parents were just kind of trying. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we had, we, at the time, you know, also the rest of Canada was not as, as um, maybe aware as perhaps we have come to. I'm not saying it's, you know, it's perfect (laughs) by Mm -hmm. any stretch, but we have, Mm -hmm. uh, I think Canadians have a better awareness now of who we are as indigenous people and, Mm -hmm. and how to uh, decolonize ourselves, um, all of us in this country. But, so cultural planning to me is adoptee led, adoptee engaged. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: uh, it's also very um, uh, important to to look at cultural planning according to uh, the person's ability to understand and accept the information.
0: Mm. And
1: um, it's all to me, uh, cultural planning, uh, when it's mandated, uh, like the policy in British Columbia, it, it creates some, uh, some, com- some hardships, because um, it's supposed to involve the birth family community and adoptive adoptive parent and child. Well, that composition is really hard to put together and, yeah. you know, and then the child's guardianship worker, social worker yeah. as well. And sometimes it works, it has worked and mm-hmm. and everybody has come to the table and there was a beautiful cultural plan developed and uh, put into place. Sometimes it doesn't. And mm-hmm. so We have to be very cautious, Um, but I think you know those important. What starts cultural planning is first identifying properly Mm. what the child's background is, and then you can start planning around nurturing and supporting um, how that's going to develop, how the cultural plan will develop, and at a pace that is comfortable. Yeah, for the person who it impacts the most, and that's the adoptee.
0: Exactly. Well, that's that's a beautiful segue uh, into. I think we have ten minutes left. Mm. But um, what I would like to just ask you um, is, what language or words are should be avoided or should be used in decolonizing adoptions? Because I think that words are very powerful, and they'll they'll uh, they'll elicit an emotion depending on how you're using the words. Like I think years ago, you know, there's people would use half breed instead of matey. Uh, you know, so there's some words that are negative, have a negative connotation, and specifically for an adoptee. What are the hurtful words, and what words should we use instead?
1: Mm. Yeah, it's a tough one. Language is so powerful, as you said, and it can um, it can raise people up and it can destroy them. Mm. So um, we want to raise people up in the circle of adoption. Mm. And so uh, some of the very uh, destructive words that I've seen are um, you know, a birth mom. Uh, has given up her child for adoption. Uh And I can tell you that having spoken to many birth parents over the years, people don't give up. And I mentioned that earlier, you know, it's Uh not a matter of giving up the child Uh and those processes to get to the point of um, signing off on an adoption. Uh Those processes can be very painful for the, for the birth Uh family. And so uh using words like giving up adds to that pain, because that's not the situation. And we don't know the situation, for the most mm. part, right? We don't yeah. know wh- why this happened. Um And it could be a variety of circumstances. So by using the word giving up, we're just saying, yeah, they gave up on that kid. Well, that's not true. That's not necessarily true. I don't think it's ever true. Yeah. Uh, so that's one uh, word that I wouldn't use is, you know, she gave she gave that kid up for adoption, please don't use that. Uh-huh. Um, and another word is this whole concept of, you know, natural family, And people don't use that word as often as they used to, but my ears would just perk up when I heard that, you know, what do you mean natural family? Does that make the adoptive family Uh unnatural? And that even extends to like our customary adoptive parents. Does that make Uh them unnatural because they've taken, uh, you know, their sister's child, um, you know, Uh so the word natural yeah. The opposite is unnatural. So let's yeah. not use the word natural. Mm. Um, biological makes it very si- scientific. You know, my biological mother, uh-huh. my bi- biological father. Yeah, that's true. They are you know biologically connected to you. Yeah. But as indigenous people, I think that we have a much better set of descriptors than just biological. Right? Yes. I mean, they are they are kin. And whether we're living with them or not, at this time for whatever reason, they're yep. still our kin. They're still mm. our kinship. Yeah. Right. Yep. So um, we have to find better language. And I mean, yeah. we had we had the language uh, historically. Like I, I mentioned, the Cree word, you know, with um uh, uh, That that was you know that encompassed family, community, nation. It was our kinship system yeah and uh that's how we define ourselves is through our kinship so huh. um you know i am not suggesting that I have the best words either, but I just those are the some of the words that just a tear at it at at, at uh, in the adoption circle uh-huh. and even saying things like uh, my adoptive parents and I've used that terminology many times. Mm-hmm. It's a hurtful th- terminology. Ha- having sat with my my fa- my family who who took me in, mm-hmm. they uh, they're hurt by that la- by that language because mm-hmm. why do I have to put adoptive mother in front of every time I say my mother? Mm-hmm. It was for me a differentiation of you know the the woman who gave me birth and the woman who gave me life. Mm-hmm. Um, So, but, you know, we have to think cautiously, I guess, when we use those kinds of words of the impact it has on others. And, um, and so the, yeah, from a colonial perspective, we should try and um, decolonize ourselves by using the words that our, our own peoples have used to describe our kinship and Uh our, our, our family circles. And we have to, um, you know the business of um, giving up on on uh-huh. people that that's been very destructive. So even if we can make that change,
0: yes.
1: I think we're moving ahead in the language of adoption.
0: Yes. No, that's absolutely so um, logical. Like you know, as you bring it up, it makes totally total sense. Um, there was this adoptee. Uh, and the way she explained to her children who her birth mother and birth family were, she says she said, "Oh, that that is um, the the belly mummy where I I lived for nine months. You know, like that that was that was my belly mu- mother." Um, and I don't know if that's any better or any worse, but it's cute and it's simple for children to understand. Um, because children do understand when people are having a baby, right you know they they know, okay, oh so that, yeah, so you know you grew up, you grew in in that woman to become the baby, you know, so that's your your belly mother, um so I thought that was a little bit cute, um and easy for children to understand, so language also has to be easy and not mean and something that they're able to just process easily. And I and I always believe the simpler the better. Anytime, you know, there's a difficult situation that needs to be explained, the simple method is the most desired method, you know, to explain something because when you when you explain something simply, there's less chance of actually misunderstanding or misinterpreting what's being said.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah. I've heard the terminology, um, tummy, tummy mother, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and heart mother, Mm. tummy mother, uh, the one who gave you birth. Yeah. And uh, heart mother, the one who gave you life. and uh, put her heart into it, you know? So I, 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 yeah, we have to be more creative and more loving in describing Mm -hmm. um, adoption situations.
0: Yeah, that's so right. And what I take away from this conversation, what strikes me is that really it is, it is the understanding and bringing people up slowly to the conversation and not pushing anything on them. So do not dictate You know what they should be feeling, what they should be studying, how they should look, how they should represent themselves. But it really is to compassionately open up to them and allow them the process to catch up to you if you're on a different page but just allowing the process to happen because you'll get there, you know, Mm -hmm. people will get there, but we all, you know, you mentioned earlier how, you know, people learn differently, people also process differently. Mm -hmm. And so that process needs to have the space to, to, um, to reach out and, and get to the end of it like it the process has to happen in its own speed in its own time Mm. and you need to allow the space for that to occur
1: absolutely yeah absolutely so I I wish go mm, ahead no go ahead (laughs) I was just going to say that um I appreciated this conversation this morning they were uh good reminders uh for myself of um of the importance of creating those uh, community of caring for people um, uh-huh. to find themselves. And uh, it's it's really about that. It's really about people finding themselves. Yes. And uh, they can find themselves in many, many ways. Um, uh-huh. It it doesn't have to be a linear path of, you know, after you uh-huh. get this, you do that. And after you meet yeah. that person, you go to that person, yeah. it, it, it it is a process, like you say, and a very personal, Uh, spiritual process Mm. to uh, finding who we are. And so, yeah, I appreciate the conversation this morning. And, um, uh, you know, I I, sometimes it just the the words to end um, have uh, so much uh, a different meaning uh, almost in every setting. And for me this morning, uh, when I end with um, all my relations, Mm. it's really, Um, to say that we are all related and that um, you don't have to feel alone as an Mm. adoptee Mm. and um, as a birth or a woman who gave birth Mm. as a family who misses their loved one Mm. um, as a a person who gave their life to raise a child that Mm. they didn't bear
0: Mm.
1: um, those are all our relations hi hi
0: yeah. Oh, that sounds good. That really, really touches me, Janine. Just your your ending words because they're so heartfelt. Like I really feel your heart in them, and and I believe people listening to this podcast will really feel that too because it comes across really clear to me. Mm-hmm. And uh, I really I appreciate your giving some time to for us to have this conversation. You are an amazing woman. You know, you are so... I mean, we've been friends a long time and I always admired you. And so I really, you know, to, for you to take the time to talk and have this conversation with, with me today really means a lot. And I thank you so much for so you're so wonderful. (laughs) I can't, I can't express, you know, any more than, you know, you are just an amazing woman. And I do appreciate this conversation.
1: Thank you, Angelina.
0: Have a blessed day and every day. All right. Thank you, too.